Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast Empowering Female Leaders for Women Who Want to Thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights, and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. I am pleased to welcome today Dr. L. Carol Scott. She's a trauma-informed developmental psychologist, TEDx speaker, coach, and number one international best-selling author. Carol brings the SAS self-aware success strategies to help you get along better on the adult playground where you play. Carol knows that your success today is determined by your first seven years of life. And she also knows that it's never too late for development do-overs. Also a nationally respected thought leader in early care and education, Carol is former president of the Board for Child Care Aware of America. Carol, I'm very pleased to have you here. Do you want to add something about yourself? No, my goodness, Ulrika, I sound terrific. Thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being around. And we'll speak today, as it's also said in your bio, how this famous first year of our life influence who we become later on or who we allow ourselves to become. And there is a lot in there. And I think many people are not aware that the first seven years are so crucial when it comes to how we are wired, when it comes to our beliefs and all of that. Do you want to give us a bit of an introduction, what that actually means? You bet. I'd love to. And it's kind of a very short child development 101 class is what I'm going to start with, which is that when we're born, we have a brain that is unformed. We are not yet a person who thinks and understands and makes connections. And so our first three years of life during that period, that's when most of our brain actually gets created. The architecture of who we are is created mostly from birth to three. And that new neural network that gets created is largely focused on interactions with other people. I mean, think about a baby's first three years of life, right? That's what it's all about. And so the child's experience of interpersonal connection, how people treat them, how they get what they want, how people listen to them, all of that creates for them an understanding of, this is the way I think of it, this is who I am in the world, this is who other people are in the world, and this is how we do with each other. That's kind of everything that the child gets wired up in their brain from birth to three, and then there's some more wiring that goes on until five. So 85% of your brain is built from birth to three, 95% of it is built from birth to five. And almost all of that is not about numbers and letters and counting and school stuff. It's about how we get along with each other. And so by the time you're seven, you've developed a, a core personality that's built around all of that. And you've started practicing the strategies that you learned for getting along. And your strategy might be codependence. Your strategy might be victimhood. Your strategy might be really healthy boundaries where you just ask what you want and accept a no when you get it. You know, it's like, so did you gather the strategies that are naturally supposed to be gathered during those seven years? Or did you gather a bunch of maladaptive alternatives in the absence of the support that you needed? And whatever you did, that's what's running the show today. That's how you get along at work. It's how you get along at home. It's how you get what you want in the world, period. It sounds even scary, like, oh, my God, all my life depends on my first seven years. 
<laughs> so the obvious question is that uh, the obvious. I, I'll, I'll ask that question later. What we can do, but what I wanted to know before we talk about that is okay. As, as you say, ninety five percent is shaped so early on. So. If we look at this, is it something where we then in our teenage years, for example, so the years between, let's say, 7 and 20 or 25, until we get more mature and have maybe a different view on ourselves and on the world, are these years years where we permanently try to confirm what we have learned in these seven years, confirming the patterns, looking at the world through this lens that we got when we were seven, six, five, four? Absolutely. I think, you know, the, the most helpful news in all of that kind of scary sounding, your brain was wired before you were five stuff, is that the brain has an incredible amount of plasticity built into it as well. And we know this from things like traumatic brain injuries, wartime IED injuries to soldiers' brains. We know from stroke victims. We know from people who have had traumatic head injuries from accidents that the brain can relearn other parts of the brain that didn't get wired to do something can get wired later. So yes, we can change the patterns in our synapses just as we change the patterns in our behavior. And my work with the SAS, the Self-Aware Success Strategies, really focuses on behavior. Change the pattern of how you do things. First notice, self-aware success strategies. Be self-aware of the strategies that you're using. And then take a look at these seven strategies that you were supposed to develop from birth to seven and try them as an alternative if you're not using them. And you can then sort of reverse engineer. You rewire your synapses by repatterning your behavior. Do we have to imagine that like a real physical process in our brain, like we are detaching some of them and we are recreating and making thicker some of the, the new connections? Is it like that? It is similar to that, yes. And as a matter of fact, in the... the um, uh, early teen years, so starting at about 12, 13, the brain go goes through uh, one of its periodic reorganizations. And it does this at about three months of age. It does it again at about six years of age. So in the early teen years, the brain says, oh, you know what? We got all these connections that we made early on that we didn't really use that much. Those two neurons came together once or twice, but they didn't really get to know each other. So we're going to prune away all the unnecessary, the unused, the, the stuff that's not really running the show anymore. And so the brain goes through a pruning process where we get rid of a whole lot of neural connections. And we just keep the, the kind of core important, the deep ones. In my mind, the image that I have is when you take a piece of paper and you fold the corners together and you press just the edges of the paper together, you don't press the crease, and you let go of it, it falls open again. That's a very light neural connection. But the more times those pieces come together, the more times those corners come together, the more it gets pressed into service, if you will, the more that crease at the bottom builds into something that will stay. And eventually, you let go of that piece of paper and it stays folded. That's kind of my mental image of strengthening a neural network over time. And yes, we can directly intervene in them to rewire our neural network as adults also. You talked about strategies before, strategies that we learn, that we adopt, and then we, we apply them. And you, you talked about seven strategies. Yes. So what are these? Wonderful. So let's get into the SAS. The self-aware success strategies are the strategies that naturally emerge from our developmental timeline. So, for example, a newborn baby is utterly 150% dependent, right? They can't do anything for themselves. They're just little bundles of needs. And their only strategy for getting along with us is to trust us, to take care of their needs. 
So the strategy of the newborn infant is to trust. So how did that go for you when you were a newborn infant? When you needed things, did the people in your life come and give them to you? Did you lie in the dark crying for long periods of time? Either because you had neglectful parents or depressed parents or addicted parents, or because your parents were following some really bad childcare advice, bad child development advice from one of the thousands of books they could read about how to take care of little kids. So trust is the first one. And then as you get older and you get up and you start moving around in the world, you need to develop your independence as a person. And so the toddler strategy is to be who they are, to be independently, uniquely themselves. And they're like little wild beings with no breaks. They just act out who they are all the time, their feelings, their thoughts, what they want. They're, they're wild. And then if they are supported in expressing themselves, they learn how to express themselves without stepping on everybody else. But at first, they're stepping all over everybody else because that's, you know, they don't have any breaks. They don't have any understanding of the impact that they have on other people. The three-year-old strategy I call faith. Now we have trust, independence, and faith. And to me, those are the heart of who we are. Those three strategies form the very, that's birth to three. That's that 85% of your brain wiring goes into those three strategies. And faith is not about religion. It's about belief. It's about the ability to imagine, create, play. Imagine things that are fantastically not true. It's your enjoyment of Disneyland. <laughs> it's, it's that part of you that can do that. And so three-year-olds are full of that. They are dreamers. They are players. They are imaginers. They're creators. And we need those three things. The ability to trust other people, the ability to speak our truth and be who we are, and the ability to play and create and be imaginative in order to have a real relationship with anybody. That's the heart to me of authenticity. Then we get to be four and we learn how to negotiate to get what we want. Negotiation is the fourth strategy. The fifth strategy of the five-year-old I call vision because five-year-olds are very, very good at uh, creating a plan and enrolling other people in doing their plan with them. That's their strategy. Six-year-olds learn how to compromise, how to release some of what they want in order to get what's most important to them. So this is the advent of values-based decision-making and living. And that wraps up more firmly with the seven-year-old strategy that I call acceptance. That is learning finally that cause and effect aren't perfect. Bad things happen to good people. That's the way life goes. Life goes up, life goes down. You have good days, you have bad days. It's a roller coaster. It's a wheel that turns, whatever your metaphor is. It's, it's not always going to be the case that if you follow the rules, you get everything you want. So trust independence, faith, negotiation, vision, compromise, and acceptance are the seven self-aware success strategies, your SAS. Okay. And how many of these, or maybe all of them, how many of these influence how successful we become in our lives? All of them. Most crucially, I think, in the workplace and for leadership, for women in particular, those first three. How we trust people, because Trust is about, remember the baby? It's about getting your needs met. What do you need? Knowing what you need. Knowing that it's okay to need things. These are not things that all of us do. <laughs> um, well, a lot of us have learned that being needy is unattractive and something we should avoid. But all of us are needy. All humans need things from other humans. And so being aware, what is it that I need from this person right now? Am I trying to be validated as a professional? Am I trying to get my opinion heard? Am I turning this person into my mother and trying to get approval from my boss? You know, it's like, 
what am I doing? Self-awareness. And then let's take a look at what do you need? What are reasonable needs to get met in professional relationships? And how do you go about getting them needed, met? How do you go about getting professional needs met? Independence, being able to say what you want, what you think, and how you feel in a non-judgmental, non-dramatic, uh, simple conversational kinds of way, expressing who you are and expecting to be heard, but not expecting to always get what you want. And then being able to imagine. I mean, this is the heart of innovation in any business, being able to be creative and let go of what is or what has been for the big dream, for the thing that no one else could have imagined. Those three things, I think, are the very heart of success, no matter what you do for a paycheck or for a gig or for, you know, whatever you define as your success in the workplace. Is it also related to our belief system? These very clear beliefs like sentences, like I'm not good enough. I will never be a good leader. I am not allowed to have a great career or rich people are the others. I will never be like that. You know, all of these tons, endless number of different sentences that we carry with us. I guess they're all shaped in that same period of our lives and relate to the different strategies that you just mentioned, right? Yes, a lot of those, I think a lot of those limiting beliefs that we have, the, the self-talk of negativity, I can't, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not experienced enough, whatever it is we tell ourselves like that. A lot of that is associated with the success strategy of independence for the toddler. We, frankly, in the, in the world at large, and particularly in the United States, Ulrika, we mess this one up badly. Toddlers have been labeled as being something bad. Toddlers are, you know, they are wild. They do not have breaks, but I don't say that judgmentally. That's just what they're doing right now. It's just a developmental stage. But when we call them terrible toddlers or terrible twos, when we say that they're bullies, I had a father one time when I was a preschool director tell me that his son was a little bully and he was two and a half. I'm sorry. No, he's not. He is someone who is trying to get himself heard and he doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't have any diplomacy skills yet. And so what happens to us during that period is we go, hi, I'm me. I'm so cool. Look at me. I'm really great in all these ways. And the circle of adults around them says, wait a minute, slow down. You're too loud. You want things we don't want you to want. Don't touch that. Get away from there. That's not a nice thing to say. Don't call him that. Give that back. That's not yours. It's like the constant message for this child who is learning to be independent is, Stop being who you are and be who we call nice or who we call appropriate or whatever word we apply to it. But we try to make children be grown up way before they're able to do it. And so what they learn is I'm not OK. It's not that that behavior is not OK. I'm not OK. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have what it takes. That's where that's born right there. And that's probably the root cause of the lack of self-confidence that so many people have. Yes. And there are gender differences in how children get treated at that age. And so there, it is different for girls. They get messages about being smaller and quieter and less visible. And boys get a message to be loud and aggressive and push. And girls get a message to retire and fade back and And so little wonder when we get into a boardroom and we say something really intelligent and nobody notices, and then the guy across the table says exactly the same thing and everybody goes wild for it. 
the way that we respond in that moment is all about the success strategy of independence. It's all about our healthy boundaries of identity. Do I know really who I am and the value that I bring? Do I know that my thoughts are smart? Do I know that my ideas are creative and good and should be listened to? Do I, you know, do I believe in myself? I react differently when I do when that happens than if I don't believe in myself. And that's about the SAS of independence. Yeah, I remember another discussion where we were talking about this toddler age. Like you say, we were wild. You know, there were no limits or breaks, everything just trying out, no thinking about how do I look like? Will I be respected? Will they like that? No such things, completely free of the independent of other people. And you're talking about remembering in a certain way what you were by that age, you know, what kind of person you were as a toddler without breaks. Because yes. we have so many breaks on in our lives and we have learned to add even more to them or give them even more strength over the years if we don't care, because it's very easy. It's a protective system that we have as well. Mm -hmm. So breaking down the breaks is much more difficult. And remembering that, is that a way of how we can connect to this, I don't know how to say, this original version of ourselves? You know, I think <laughs> for me, part of that pathway has been spiritual. It has been a part, it has been recognizing the uniqueness that I am as a created being in this world and thinking that that's kind of holy, you know? So for me, that's a part of it always. And I think it's also just about giving yourself permission to quietly ask, what is it that I really want? What is it that I really think? What if I didn't say what I thought would get me liked and I said what I really thought? You know, a lot of us have that feeling of, If people really knew who I really was, they wouldn't like me, right? That's one of those limiting negative beliefs that comes out of this lack of independence as a strategy. And so what if we could just spend some time, you know, maybe journaling, self-reflection, maybe during body work, maybe there's a, an energy worker that you like, you know, whatever your way is of pulling the internal out into the visible world, pulling the invisible internal reality that you hide even from yourself out to say, what is it that I want? You know, here's the four things from the infant. What do I need? What do I want? What do I think? What are my thoughts, my opinions, my beliefs? And what am I feeling? What are the emotions? And that often takes us back into our body because emotions, um, if one of that part of that wildness of the toddler is that they feel everything in their bodies. They don't have any labels for it. They can't talk about the fact that they're angry. All they do is make a fist and hit because that's what their body tells them to do. They fall on the floor and cry and sob uncontrollably because that's what their body wants to do. And they don't have any way to hardly talk about what's happening. And so we can go into our bodies and find your, your emotions are held in your muscles, in your bones, in your connective tissues. You feel them there. You've just forgotten to pay attention to those signals now. And you have all this language in your head about anger, and fear, and happiness. I just last week held a workshop about embodiment. And it's just amazing that, like you say, we forgot about that. We, we think we have to solve everything with the head. Like what we're talking about now is also to get more aware of things. So people might think it's another thinking exercise that I have to do. Whereas our head is in a certain way, well, it's limited. It's limited. It shows us what it has always shown us. Seeing something different is hard if you don't have a coach who is digging deeper and deeper and really asking you some questions where suddenly you can see things from a different perspective. 
But there's also this body-mind connection that it can help us to be whole again. Yeah. Yes. One of these yes. words. But that's what we are missing out on most of the times. We try to solve everything with our head. Like, I'm not feeling well. Oh, can I think differently to feel better? Maybe you just stand up and take a different posture and you might start feeling better already with that. You know, so it's like there's an interplay between our whole self, including our body, not just our mind. Do you have any that tips or tricks that you can share, you know, that people can do to create more self-awareness and to be able to work differently than the strategies that they have adopted so early on in their lives? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, a lot of the, the coaching work that I do and the training work that I do, it focuses on those development do-overs, the strategies for getting more self-aware and noticing um, what it is that I do now. And what is it that that success strategy from early childhood calls upon me to do that is different? What could I try that would be different? What I often do as a coach is to ask my client to focus on a particular relationship. Because even if you're talking about work success, you have relationships there that are either helping you or they're not. And so if you have a relationship that could be helpful and it's not helping you, let's take a look at what you're doing there. And take a look at the interaction patterns. What is it that, you know, if that person pokes you and you find that you're feeling uh, reactive to that person, what is it that they do? If you feel like that person's reacting to you, you're the one who's poking them. So let's take a look at that dynamic. So I think some of it just begins with really noticing yourself. And for me, that includes noticing the body. That wonderful book that had came out within the past, just recent few years called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score is the book about how abuse and other uh, instances in early childhood, other experiences in early childhood, leave a traumatic record, a trauma record behind. And that includes in our central nervous system, in our brains and in our spinal cords and in our vagus nerve that runs down the side of our face and into our torso. And so all that brain wiring that we're talking about, that's actually like neurons connected in there and they're doing stuff. And so we have to become aware of our physical reactions, the way that we get triggered or respond reactively that is coming out of that wiring. We have to start noticing ourselves. And particularly if, like me, you have coped with a lot of recovery from traumatic experiences, I'm like the best data point in the world for being able to rewire your brain. I was nuts. I mean, I was seriously a very dysregulated human being at 21. And it has taken a long time to get as regulated as I am now because I had a lot of trauma to overcome. And so what I want people to know is you're never stuck with whatever you grew up with. You can redo any of this. And it's just about really looking at ourselves, being willing to open our eyes and look clearly at what we're doing. And without judging, I think that is probably a very important. Yes. yes. Without judging. Absolutely. Yeah. Just it's so easy to just judge ourselves and say, you're just a bad person, but no, we're doing but, you know, that's why I like to call it a strategy. We all develop strategies to get by. We either go along to get along or we are who we are. We either trust people and allow our needs to be met or we hoard all our needs to ourselves and pretend like we don't have any and walk through the world kind of underhydrated in the need department all the time. It's like we all have strategies. Some of them are more successful than others, and we can change the strategies we're using. Hmm. Is it more difficult when we become older? You know, the longer that you apply these strategies, is it the more difficult then to get, to change them, to revive yourself? Or is it easier when you're in your 20s, 30s? No, I haven't experienced that. I mean, I didn't even go to therapy until I was 30. 
And so I started the journey of healing and repatterning my behavior mostly at that point because we didn't know. Um, that was in the 1980s, and we didn't know a lot of this stuff about applied neurology and the neural network and the vagus nerve back then. And so therapy for trauma was a lot about repatterning your behavior, looking at how you act. And that was a good start, but it wasn't ever enough until I started really learning about brain development in the 1990s when we started being able to see living brains in action with PET scans. We learned so much so fast in the last 30 years that what we know now about how children develop these patterns of behavior and thought and, and emotion, we understand it so much better than we did 40 years ago. So I really think that there is no age limit. I think you could start anytime. You could decide when you're 50. I'm just not happy with the way things are going. You could decide when you're 70. And I think you can make some progress before you're done. Yeah. And then it's really about looking into yourself and finding out what is actually going on. You know? How yes. do you react to situations? And like you say, starting with a relationship you struggle with or that does not do you any good, even if it's a close person, maybe. Is this oftentimes a relationship with our parents or one of our parents? Yes. You know, it's so much about our adult caregivers, whoever, you know, if you were raised by your parents, your foster care parents, your grandparents, whoever, whatever circle of adults was responsible for you from birth to seven really set these patterns in place for you. And we, all of us, either follow our parents' guidance and be who they taught us to be, or we rebel against it and create something else later or some mixture of the two. I think it's hard to get kind of like all of the parental authority out of your system for, for a long time because that's that early birth to three period. You can't talk. You can't express yourself. You can't really participate in the human experiment the same way until you're about four. And then you start to be able to communicate. And when you're six, you get logical a little bit. And then you're really, you know, by the time you're seven, you're really a, a partner. But we may have raised somebody who's really dependent upon uh, a lot of strategies that we brought along from our parents. We've passed them on down and they're not doing them any better than they did us. When somebody wants to be more successful for whatever, making a next career step and knowing, I don't know why, but I'm really feeling stuck. I can't do it. And yeah, this kind of feeling which you might have that we're just not able to make the next step that we want to make in whatever direction that might be. What would you say is a good approach? Because obviously people are setting themselves specific goals, maybe doing some visualizations to get there, doing some exercises to be more, more confident, whatever. Yeah. What would be from your experience the best package? Is it really the starting from within? What is that package? You know, I think this is such a great question to end with, Ulrika, because these strategies that we use as adults in our, you know, strategic planning and our visioning boards and all that kind of stuff, that's the end of the seven years. That's vision, compromise, and acceptance in action, right? Mostly vision and negotiation from the four-year-old too, oh, trying to get what we want. The idea that you have the vision and what you do is inspire people to do it with you, right? That's totally five years old. And then starting to lead from your values is six and seven. And so we're doing all the stuff at the upper end of this age range without the foundation of that trust, independence, and faith underneath it. And so even when we're really good at that stuff, sometimes it doesn't work because under the vision of the big goal that I have and the great strategic plan, I have a limiting belief from my two-year-old self that says I'm not good enough to execute this. So yes, we have to start taking a look at that interior sort of hidden light. It's it's not, I can't say that it's like fun. <laughs> and it's the success 
reality. It is the thing that actually leads us to success is to get out from under those limiting beliefs and those inabilities to use the heart of who we are in relationships to connect with people. The more authentic I am and the more I have my heart to connect with you, the more likely we're going to be successful no matter what we're doing in terms of the vision or the strategic plan. Do we need to accept first, you know, the things that we don't like in us from these very early years mm. instead of trying to fight against them and get rid of them? I think many people very quickly fall into the trap of total self-optimization and I have to get rid of everything that is uh, perceived as negative. What I experience is I'm aware of the things that I don't do well and I accept them as I come by that pretty freaking honestly. I'm amazed to be upright and alive. If I still sometimes all of a sudden lose my temper and get kind of cranky and snap at somebody, I can live with that. I can live with that and I can apologize for it the next, you know, five minutes later or the next day. When I own what I do that is possibly considered something that I would criticize, that is something, quote, negative, when I honor that that's just part of who I am and I come by it honestly, then I can also apologize for it. I don't feel ashamed of it. I can be more authentic in my connection by saying I'm sorry without turning myself into a monster and beating myself up for the rest of the year. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is super important that we're just more gentle in this approach to ourselves and we just go on that journey and and do yeah. it without judging, like we said before, you have a little gift for our audience, which is the PDF. I do, yes. Send me an email with the name of the show or with Ulrika's name in the subject line, and I will send you my little bookette, 28 page PDF that explains all of the success strategies, how they develop, and asks you some thoughtful questions to let you see whether they're working well for you as an adult. And I think that's the beginning of the journey. <laughs> it is, it is indeed. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I'm excited to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.